Bibles and uh, looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. That's the text that we're going to be looking at today, but I'm kind of going to jump around in it a little bit. And so what I want to do is I want to start by reading the whole thing and, and praying over uh, our time together, and then we'll jump in and, and talk specifically about the text itself. So Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, Paul says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die, but God shows his love. His immense and tremendous love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more than now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Will you pray with me? God, I come trembling to this text this morning with such fearsome words and such great hope. Lord, I lift up our time together I pray that your spirit would be present here and would cut us deeply, revealing to us our weaknesses and lifting us up in the joy of reconciliation. We thank you and praise you for all that you have done in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. We pray and through the spirit. Amen. We've been going through a series and here's my illustration. Isn't it cool? I had, uh, I, I had originally the idea of uh, having Jesse uh, make me just a PowerPoint graphic, and that just was not going anywhere. So I said, what if we just get an umbrella? And uh, this was $17 somewhere. So I said, let's do it. So the idea here is, uh, we've continued to use this phrase that the word saved, which we use so very often in so very many things. We, when we talk about what God has done for us and we say, I am saved, we read that in the text. We are now saved from the wrath of God. That is an umbrella term. It is huge. It is massive. Oh, well, no. Yeah, thank you. Can you go this far over, though? No, okay. So I'm, I'm, this is my spot. Very good. All right. Uh, so we have been... I, I must be in the light, right? Okay. 
so it is an umbrella term, and it means a lot of different things. And we've been trying to pull forth and see the richness and the beauty of just this simple word, saved. What has been revealed to us in Romans is that God is not a God of wrath. It is not a central characteristic to who he is, but his response as a righteous and just Lord of the universe, his response to our sinfulness is one of wrath. But the good news is that Jesus steps between us and the punishment, us and the judgment, and he becomes the propitiation for our sin. He takes our sin, and then he gives to us something. He hands off his righteousness so that what God sees when he looks at me is not my sin and not my good actions, though there are some of those, right? He doesn't see any of that. What he sees is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the propitiation for our sin, but he then imputes his righteousness so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees the righteousness of God. Of Jesus Christ, which is why we read in Galatians that those who have been baptized with Jesus into Jesus have now clothed themselves with Jesus. That's what imputation means. So that now when God talks about my standing before him, he can say, I have been justified. I am now justified by faith because Jesus has taken the sin and handed me his righteousness. I can now be, God can now say, you are right with God. And that leads us to our topic today, which is reconciliation, which also is a great and wondrous word. But in order to really come to understand reconciliation, we really have to get a grasp on what it means to be a sinner. And I think that this is something we don't have a strong grasp on. You notice one of my favorite verses uh, of all time, and I, I use it very often uh, just in conversation when I'm sharing the gospel, is Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the verse that we just read, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners. Now, I say that word sinner, and you say, okay, no shock there. Right? The, the word doesn't, doesn't have any, it doesn't hit us. Because we Christians, and even people who aren't Christians, are pretty, pretty willing to say, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. I've done things that are wrong. I, 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 I'm okay with, with saying that. And so because we are so frequent in saying that we are sinners and admitting our imperfections, we aren't struck by the scandal of the gospel of the word of God when it calls us a sinner. We're desensitized to this word. Desensitization is something that is, is really a, a, a big deal. It's huge, and it's a fact. When you engage in sin, you're ashamed at first. You want to keep it quiet. There's the skeletons in the closet you don't want anybody to know about. But then you kind of get a little taste for it. And you realize that sin can be enjoyable. And so then you participate a little bit more in it. You feel a little less shame. It gets a little easier. But also something else happens. That is that sin that used to, you just kind of could dabble with it. Now you've got to immerse yourself with it. You've got to expand it and expand it and expand it until you're consumed by it. And this is what we see going on in culture just at large today. It's very interesting. I read two articles this week, both posted um, on Facebook by the same uh, friend of mine. 
Uh, the first article, and maybe you'll put it together before I'm even done, but the first article was talking about the explosion of STDs in the United States today, that it's, uh, it's, it's expanded beyond anything that it's been at in, in terms of numerical values. And so, the, the, you know, the, of course, the, the problem is policies, and the problem is there's not enough sex education, and the problem is, you know, the drug research and all these kinds of things. The second article I read was uh, focused especially on the increasing number of... Um, of, uh, forgive me for those of you who have little kids in the room, but who, who, people who have multiple sexual partners. The explosion of this process, and no one puts together these two things, right? Seems rather obvious to me. And yet, what, what happens as I have Christians in my office, happens every year, several times usually, who are living outside of wedlock, and yet participating in worldly sexual activities. And I say, you can't do that and call yourself right with God, because you're not. It's sin. And they'll say to me something like, man, everybody sins. What I want you to see when you read the word sinner in the Bible is this. To be a sinner... To be living in sinfulness is to be an enemy of God. An enemy of God. Now consider that moment for, for that, consider that for just a second. We read that here in our text. It says that the wrath of God was coming upon us while because we were enemies of God in verse 10. What does it mean to have an enemy? Anybody have an Go back to your elementary school days. You ever had an enemy? A couple of honest people in the room. What do you feel toward an enemy? Love, joy, warm feelings. What do you feel toward an enemy? Contempt. There's a good word. Don't mess with Scott. (laughs) What else? Hate. Another good word. What else? Anger. Fear. Challenge. Jealousy. Disgust. What do you feel when they walk into the room? What's your first response? Ugh. Right? That's what an enemy is. That's the emotional response. We all have it. We understand it completely. And what does the Bible say? It says that if you walk in sin, you are an enemy of God. And not only then, I want you to see this, not only then are we talking about a personal offense between you and the almighty God of the universe, but God is also king. The good news is that he is coming one day and he will reign over the entire cosmos in righteousness and goodness and purity and justice for all eternity. And those people who belong to his kingdom are those who have been justified, as we've been talking about, but all that practice sinfulness and uncleanness will be outside. Which means that you are an enemy of God's state. You are the Edward Snowden, the Julian Assange of the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? That That's why these fearsome words are used throughout the scripture. Because God loves you. And he is pleading with you. Whether you are not a Christian at all today. Or whether you're a Christian who's, who's wavering in your faith. Wavering in your righteousness. God is reaching out and pleading with you to hear his Warnings. We have now come to a place in our society, and you can talk to Laura and she'll talk all about it, that we have shoved aside the word shame. Shame is now a bad thing. Now, there are certain kinds of shame that, um, 
that we shouldn't feel. But if we do something that is wrong, if we walk in impurity, shame is something we, we should feel. That is a natural response. Kids get this, right? You catch a kid doing something, and they stop. Wasn't doing it, right? We're trying to breed that out of kids, push that out of kids, push that out of all of society. Why? So that we can call our evil good. Isaiah 5 says, woe. That word woe is a word of wrath and judgment. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who take darkness and call it light, or take light and call it darkness, who take bitterness and call it sweet, or take sweet and call it bitter. Woe to them, for they are wise in their own eyes. Thomas Goodwin, a Puritan preacher, said this, they only are wise who are wise unto salvation. If wisdom doesn't bring you to salvation, what is it good for? Nothing. So, Romans 5, 9, there, and 5, 10, talk about the wrath of God. They talk about us being enemies of God. And so we have this great vision in Revelation chapter 6. And I read it when I want my conscience really pricked. Because it does something powerful. It reveals to us the ultimate uh, standing of those who are in an enemy state of God. When God comes, the sky is rolled back and it says that the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and the everyone, the slave and the free, they tried to hide in the rocks and in the caves. But it says that the mountains fled, so there's nowhere to hide, and the the islands ran away, so there's nowhere to run. And so all you are doing now is standing face to face with God. And when it comes to a moment, if you are in a state of sin and you are standing face to face with God, what do the people do? They scream out to the mountains and they say, fall on us. Fall on us. It is better to be buried under a pile, a mountain of rock, than to be a sinner and face the living God. And that is where we all, by nature, stand. But grace... But grace, but the amazing grace and power of God. Because what do we read in our text? We read that through him we have obtained access to the grace in which we now stand. Why do we stand in that grace? We stand in that grace because Jesus is the propitiation for our sin and he brought about an imputation of righteousness and he brought about justification so that God could pardon me and say I'm okay and he brings about reconciliation and reconciliation is my favorite of all those words so far. It's the best one. It's the best one because of this. Consider um, consider this. Uh, a few weeks ago I talked about how I forgot Laura's birthday Just in the morning. Facebook reminded me in the afternoon, so we were okay. (laughs) It's it's just true. (laughs) It's just true. And so uh, we had a breach in our relationship. And I needed for her to say, Jordan, I pardon you. But I needed something more than just, Jordan, I pardon you. Because I want... (laughs) Because I want her to let me... Touch her again, right? And so I need more than just a pardon. I need her to say, it's okay, I love you. I need reconciliation. 
See, a judge, and this is going to happen to us very soon. We're going to, we'll see this in the news at some point. The president is, is leaving the office, and there'll be a new president incoming. And the tradition is that when the president leaves the office, the president will pardon certain people. He'll have a list of people, and he will say, because I am in charge, because I am in charge of this area, of this part of the planet, I am going to declare that this person, because of my power, is now innocent. I am going to justify that person. But it doesn't mean that that person is going to get invited to go play golf with the president. It doesn't mean they're BFFs. It doesn't mean that they're close friends now. It just means that that person is pardoned. So what could God have done? God could have said to all us wicked little children, I pardon you, and still kept us at arm's length. He could have said, I forgive you, but not come close to us. In fact, this is, what, this is one of the huge differences between us and between many other religions. I would, I would engage to say probably every religion, but especially the Abrahamic religions like Judaism and Islam. They have a God who holds them at arm's length. We have a God who, as Bill read today, took on flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory who came for what reason? Not just so that you could stand justified before him, but that he could call you reconciled. That is a son or daughter of God. That's much better. I think of it in terms of my Emery, who um, is a terrible sinner. Uh, and we're at this state in our relationship now, and please, God, let it, let it live through the teenage years. I'm sure it won't, but you know, maybe it will. By his grace. But I can say to her, if she does something that's wrong, I can say to her, Emery, I am really disappointed in you. And her face just goes, you know, and she'll cry or she'll hide under her blanket. And she, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to, this shame that she rightly feels, she's done something wrong. This shame has created a barrier between us. And often what we feel like as Christians, when shame really hits you, when you really sense your sin, you, not just God, but you can't stand to be in the presence of the Holy One. But I, as a dad, desperately want to comfort her. And so even as she's shoving me away, I'm bigger. So... I grab her up and I hold her and I say, it's okay. I love you. I forgive you. It's fine. See, not only does God want to say, I forgive you. He wants to say, I love you. He wants to take you in his arms. He wants to say, it's fine. I, you know, I read that fearsome passage from Revelation. This, this, this terrible warning about the consequences of, of, of sin and disobedience to God. That mountains, you scream for mountains to fall upon you because you can't bear to stand God's face. But what is the end of the story? And chapter 21 of Revelation says that when he comes, he's going to stand in the midst of his people. And we, his people, are going to love to behold him face to face and he is going to be in the midst of us he is going to be our God and we are going to be his children and he is going to wipe away every tear from our eye because sorrow and death and mourning will be no more in the face of pure joy that's reconciliation it's so much more than just these, these three things that happened in the death and, and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ but it brings us together with God this word saved is huge and gorgeous. And God is pleading with you to leave behind sin and to enter into the fullness of his joy, 
of his life, of his peace. I love that um, uh, Romans 5, 1. Uh, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God. If I have peace with God, I can have peace with everything else. I can have peace with death. I can have peace with suffering. I can have peace with a broken heart. I can have peace with depression. I can have peace with losing my job. I can have peace with with being abandoned by everyone else. I can have peace with my enemies because I have peace with God. And he transforms everything about who I was and what I am. I love uh, verse, uh, five and, uh, verse 6 here. For while we were weak, this word carries the meaning of inability. While we were unable, while we were the, the kid with a blanket over our head saying, yeah, I'm totally broke. I, I'm totally broken. At the right time, God sent Christ to die. For who? For the people who really deserved it? For the people who really were beautiful or smart or wealthy or came from a good family or, or don't have a ton of skeletons in their closet or don't have a ton of shame in their past or haven't made a ton of mistakes. Those people who have already kind of been doing the right thing all the way. Is that who God came for? No. It said that Christ died for who? The ungodly. The ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Though for per, uh, perhaps for a good person, someone to die. We, we watch these movies. I know you've seen them before. I, always, I often think of war movies when I read this because, you know, you, you've got those war movies where, where, like, one of the soldiers, like, jumps on the grenade or lays down his life for, you know, his buddies. And we say, oh, man, isn't that movie? Like, it moves us. We get little tears in our eyes. Because we understand that. We, are, we might not do that, but we understand the concept of, of loving your children, loving your spouse, or loving somebody so much that maybe... Maybe you would be willing to lay down your life for us, but that's not what Jesus did. That is not what Jesus did. He laid down his life for his enemies. He laid down his life for his enemies. Now, I don't know who your enemy is. I don't know who, if we really got into it and said, who is it that you get that disgust feeling in your stomach for? Will you lay down your life for that person? That's what we're talking about here. That's what this word grace, that's what this word saved is all about. That while we were weak, while we were unable, at the right time, Christ came in and died for the ungodly. And God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still his enemies, Jesus Christ died for us. That's what that word reconciliation means. God doesn't keep us at arm's length when he justifies and pardons our sins. He brings us in and he loves us with the deepest love that anyone could conceive of. Do you have that love today? Is there some repentance that needs to go on in your your heart, in your life? Maybe something you need to turn away from. Because over and over again, from beginning to end, throughout the scriptures, we have this constant Rejoinder, this constant encouragement, this constant pleading from God who says, abandon your sin and let me wrap you in my arms. And this should bring about, for those of us here who are Christians and who are willing to let God take us in, we have these incredible promises, these incredible uses, I'll call them, or applications to our lives 
things that happen as a result of reconciliation. And the first thing that I, I noticed through this text is how often the word rejoice is used. You notice that as we read it. Verse 1 says, Therefore we've been justified um, by faith we have peace with God. Uh, through movie, we have obtained access into the, by, the faith, by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And so we rejoice. And rejoice is the action word for joy. We rejoice. We get that again at, at the end of the whole thing in verse 11. More than that. More than that. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be a people who cultivates some joy. We should be a people who is rejoicing because all this stuff that I just talked about, like, that's, and and we've got like four, what what month is this? October. So we've got like two more months, so like eight more words to talk about. Like, that's how big this concept is. This has been done for you. How are we not pumped? Right? How are we not excited? How are we not rejoicing from God? And I don't mean like you feel like bubbly good, like you, you, we have this friend, uh, Kristen Joy, perfect name for her. We call her K-Joy. You, get, you guys know K-Joy. I don't know, like, this girl could be, like, in, like, traction, like, her entire body in traction and still be, like, the most joyful, like, she just, do you know what I'm saying? Like, you got people like that in your life who are just, Miss Carol, you're probably that person, too. Everybody knows Miss Carol. Like, I got in a fight with her one time. I didn't know we were in, fight, in a fight until she left the room. I thought, I, I think I just made her mad. Like, I think we just had a fight. Like, we have people who are just, this is just a part of who they are. That is not me, right? I am not that person. For me, it comes from the mind. It is a reasonable thing. Now, I want to cultivate joy in my life, too. Um, but I also want to be uniquely who God has made me. Uh, and so for me, it comes from my mind. It is a logical thing for me to look at this and say, I deserve negative percent of this. And so every time I take a deep breath, every time I see the trees blow, every time I consider Jesus Christ, every time we sing songs together or I encounter a brother or sister in Christ, every time I experience the grace of God, of God, it is from my mind to say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. But God isn't asking you to be a fake joy person. He is saying, respond to me appropriately. For me, the practice of this comes from my reading and rereading and rereading and recitation and prayer of the Psalms. To read them again and to see in them the great joy that God has given me. The second thing that I see is a result of all of this rejoicing, and that is fearlessness. Man, do we need a fearless church today. Every time, November 6th, every day that gets closer, we need to be more fearless more fearless, countering a culture of fear because, man, people are afraid. They're so afraid. We're afraid of getting power. We're afraid of losing power. We're afraid of, of, of other countries. We're afraid of war. We're afraid of death. We're afraid of sickness. We're afraid of not being loved. We're afraid of not being accepted. We're afraid of not having enough. We're afraid of going hungry. We're afraid of losing our job. We're afraid of not being uh, loved by our spouse. We're afraid of broken relationship with our children. We're afraid of all these things. And what does it say here? We rejoice in our sufferings. Do you see that? We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? 
Because we of all people, when we go through those times that are so hard, and I know there's somebody here today, probably multiple people today, that I don't know what you're going through, and you probably won't won't even tell me, but you are struggling right now. And what I can say about the struggle is this. Don't be afraid of it. Think of that Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your correcting rod and your guiding staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And that beautiful ending, right? Because that's all really great. That's all really wonderful. But I'm still going to die. And surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we know that as we endure these trials, these tribulations, it produces endurance. And endurance produces character. The kind of person who we can look at and say, man, that is a person who, they just stand up under pressure. They're a person that that has conviction. And no matter which way the winds blow, which way the popularity swings, that person stands firm on the word of God like a a tree planted beside a river, a tree whose leaf doesn't wither, whose fruit bears in all seasons, a person who can be moved because suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. And what does character produce? A person who hopes. And what is the opposite of hope? Fear. So church, stop fearing. And know that whatever comes, whether it's good times or bad times, especially in the bad times, God is using it to produce in you fruit that does not perish, spoil, or fade. Now, can I say something difficult to you? (laughs) Because we haven't so far, right? What is the character of love that we see here in God. The characteristic that we see demonstrated here, this, this word, this reconciliation, it comes from love um, for, uh, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is his love that brings forth reconciliation. That's the place where it, it comes from. How often we use the word love. Turn on the radio, how often we hear the word love. And how infrequently do we actually truly love in any real meaningful fashion? What does love look like? I don't know if you can see them anymore. Blocked a little bit. It's the shape of a cross. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I hear so many Christians, like, I, I, we, we use this excuse, well, I'm not Jesus, right? You're supposed to be. You're supposed to be. And if the attitude of Christ Jesus is not the attitude that we have as the church, there's something desperately wrong here. Love is shaped like a cross. That's why Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. That everyone who loves their life will lose it, but those who lose it for me will save it. Love is shaped like a cross. What does God do for his enemies? He pardons them. He forgives them. This is why so so many marriages fall apart, is we're willing to forgive, but we are not willing to forget. We are, this is why so many churches fall apart. 
Because we're willing to forgive, but we aren't willing to reconcile. We're willing to forgive, but when that person comes in the room, we still feel that same gut reaction, that same gut feeling. You know, it's so interesting. Um, you, you might remember the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, not trespassers. That is a bad translation. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus finishes his prayer, he finishes teaching the, the apostles how to pray in, that, in Matthew chapter 6, the only point he goes back to to expound upon is forgiveness. He doesn't talk about his will. He doesn't talk about our daily bread. That's the one I'm most concerned about, right? He doesn't talk about the coming kingdom of God. He doesn't talk about anything else, but he says forgiveness. If you forgive others, their trespasses, their debts, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their debts, neither will your, Father for, your heavenly Father forgive you. Isn't that interesting? That is the only thing that he doubles back on to, 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 to get into our minds. Now God pardons, but then he reconciles. God pardons, and then he makes peace so that he no longer looks at us and says, you are a sinner, you are an enemy. He says, now I am doing everything I can to wrap you up and bring you close, close, and closer until we can echo the words of Jesus and say we abide in him. That's what the church is to look like. That's what you, each and every one of you, are to look like. So when I go onto your Facebook feed and I see your politi- political posts, do I see this? If I sit with you at a table with you and your spouse or significant other, do I see this? When I see your children do something wrong, do I see this? When I see you at work dealing with that person who you hope calls in sick today, do I see this? And really, whether I see it or not doesn't mean anything because God sees it. There is no hiding. Everything that you do in the darkness, he sees. Everything that you do in the light, he sees. Everything you do in the closet, he sees. Everything you do on the mountain, he sees. There is nothing lost to God. And so what God has done for us is so often lost. As we talk about these wonderful words, we could say, ah, isn't it great? And I want you, please hear me. I want you to say, ah, isn't it great? We hear this word saved and we hear all these great words and we say, oh, I could rejoice. Oh, yes, I want you to rejoice. We say, oh, yes, I can be fearless in the face of all opposition. Yes, I want you to be fearless. But in the end, if it doesn't hit the ground and we don't then look like Jesus, what good is it? He's creating a people who will follow him, not just thank him. He says, take up the cross and follow after me. Do you think he was just talking rhetoric, speeding hot air? No, he is creating a people to take on the ministry that he himself made. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, or chap, yeah, chapter 5 is uh, one of my favorite passages. Brian, you want to click that for me, please? It says this. This is for us, verse 17. Uh, well, I don't have it up there, but I'll read verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, behold, there is a new creation. Verse The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself 
than what? Gave us the same ministry. Jesus, you know, God is, God's wild. I just, God is so wild. He makes this ministry and he he gives us this, he, he does all this for us. And then he steps back and he empowers us and he says, now you do it. Now you do it. Gave us the ministry, the work of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting then to us the ministry, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God is making his appeal through you. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as we can come to a conclusion here this morning, the message is rejoice. And the message is be fearless, but the message is also be forgiving. The message is all of this is so that he might produce a people who are worthy to be called after him, to follow in his steps, that we might become agents of reconciliation, agents of peace, calling out to the world to make Romans 5 verse 1, peace with God known. Not only through our words, but through our lives. This morning, if you don't know peace with God, if you are a Christian who has maybe wandered from the faith, if you've never accepted Jesus at all, uh, we invite you to come down front. We'll have elders here down front who will pray with you and speak with you and, and, and cry with you and weep with you and bring you as much as they can to know God more fully and to take the next step. If you... Um, Want to place membership this morning? Or maybe you just need prayer. We invite you also to come forward. That we might walk together. And together seek peace with God. Amen? Let's stand and sing.